We open up to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. This is a busy week. Like, we are like finally at Sunday. Next week is busy as well, but it was just, I don't know, how many of you guys like get to a point in the week where you allow your brain to kind of wander to days that aren't here yet and you find yourself getting a little overwhelmed because you're thinking about every, you guys are like, I do that, I'm doing it right now. It happened to me this week. I felt myself, I told my wife, I'm like, I actually felt myself at some point feeling a little anxious. You know, your heart starts beating and all that stuff and you're kind of sitting there trying to figure out things that aren't even in front of you yet and then you're not focused so much on what you got going on today. So you just pray to the Lord just to bring your mind back to where it needs to be, bring it back into, into today. Ask, as we talked about last week, for the Holy Spirit to fill you and to keep your focus and discernment where it needs to be. And in doing that, there was a peace that came over me. So, um, But the message today, as I said, is kind of a continuation, or I guess fits into the same theme of what we spoke about last week. And it was great to hear the feedback from you guys last week regarding... The message. Um, it seemed like some things clicked with some people, I guess, when it came to certain parts of the message that was given. Um, one of the things in particular that I told my wife about that I felt like I got a lot of feedback from, um, even from people that listened online, was, was when I had talked about and said that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, we have to understand and know that the biblical gospel doesn't say that he went to the cross because he necessarily found a value in you to go and die. Right? Like the reason why we, we have any kind of value, if you would say, is because you were created by him, right? You were wonderfully and beautifully made. But that's it. There wasn't anything in, in, in Brandon or Curtis or Heather or Linda or, or Dawn that go, Jesus goes, you know what? I'm going to go to the cross and die for them because, man, they have a value inside of them that I want. If that was the case, we all admitted that that would be a conditional kind of love, right? And it's in that mindset that we then are indirectly kind of setting a standard for ourselves to live up to. And we put ourselves in that place where then we stop and we think and go, okay, Christ died for me because he saw this thing in me. I'm not living up to that thing. Now I feel ashamed. You're putting this works first mindset in that place, right? So by speaking that to you guys, it was great because it was almost like the sense of freedom came over a couple of people where they're like, okay, it isn't so much that Pastor Josh is saying that I'm a piece of garbage and that, you know, I'm just trash. It's that he's trying to emphasize that God is everything, that God is love. Like he is love. It isn't just that he loves you. It's that he is love. And there was nothing that you did to earn that love. If there was, it would be because of some kind of work. And he saved us by grace alone, through faith alone, so we could not boast in the works that we've done, right? And the works are seen as filthy, as rags. So this is, this is where we have to kind of come to that connection. But something in regards to my week that I experienced, and my wife and my, my youngest two were able to go with me, was to this training that I had for work. And it was up in Traverse City. And it was a training that was basically just based around dealing with youth in different social settings and stuff like that. And 
you know, you go to these trainings and stuff like that, and it, you know, it's a lot of it is to try to encourage people that are in the the uh, helping profession, people that are dealing with certain groups of people and stuff like that. And the theme is always the same. It's always the same when you sit there and listen. And that theme is is that in trying to encourage the people that are in these professions, that you have something in you or what is in you is good and perfect. You don't need to fix anything about you. And they speak about this kind of like inner light that you have, right? And this isn't, once again, they're not speaking to the church here, they're speaking to the world. That you're fine just the way that you are. And I sit there and I really wrestle with that now as a Christian because I just stop and I think to myself, man, we are so drawn to that kind of language. It's no you know, coincidence that the biggest selling books in the world are self-help books, right? And all these people that were promoting or that were speaking all had books that they had written that they were promoting. So everyone's writing notes, right? Because they're giving you ideas, examples, exercises on, on how to make your day better and how to remember and to center yourself into going, okay, you know what? I'm really a good person at the end of the day and I have to remember that. And they're just eating this stuff up. But I have to stop and remember, I was once too blind to that. I used to also think the same way. But I just stop and I'm, I'm amazed at how much they lap this stuff up. But once again, I have to remember, I too was in that mindset. But the issue and the problem with this, once again, and I told my wife and I forgot to do it, I was going to actually bring out a garbage can and like set it here and preach to you guys around the garbage can. And I kind of poked fun at you, Dawn, because I said Dawn eventually would say, why don't you just move the garbage can, right? So I, I'm sitting there, though, and the whole time as, you know, I start to wander in my attention, listening to these individuals talk, I'm stopping and I'm thinking, this is why people continuously struggle. This is why these kind of seminars make so much money. This is why self-help books are so popular, because people just don't figure it out. What do they need to figure out? that inside of them, it isn't inherently good. And this isn't to bash. Like, this is the thing where you guys could be sitting there going, okay, week number two, Pastor Josh is going to be talking about sin and my heart and how I'm kind of this wreck inside and did it. The only reason why I do this, and I hope that I'm able to always package this up for you guys, is for you guys to truly understand and know who God is, you have to understand who you are as well, and vice versa. And we talked about that space, that chasm of God's love. If Brandon or Curtis sit there and think that they're really just good people, they're kind of up here, right? And God's love is here. So that space is only so big. But if they understand and read and trust in what the Word says, but not only what the Word says, but also the truth that wages inside of them, the war that's in them, the thoughts that they wrestle with, right? The feelings, the desires that even come over them. The proof's in the pudding. And I'm not calling you guys pudding, but the proof's there. If they come to that realization, it's not so much that they get this lowly perspective of themselves, but they do start to see themselves in a humble fashion where they start to drop and then guess what? God starts to go higher and higher and become bigger and bigger. So now what's happening to that space and that chasm of grace and love? It grows and we operate and bask in that as Christians. 
So the more that you know God, the more you're going to understand your sin. The more you know your sin as a Christian, guess what? The more that transaction of grace and mercy takes place in your everyday life. It's just factual. I need Jesus every day. Lord, tune my heart to bless your name. This is what Christians are called to do. So in, in thinking that, that once again is our insight as, as a Christian. We are conscious of the sin that we are guilty of, that we witness, and the flesh that's trying to cause us to desire it, the enemy that tries to deceive us with it, and the world that promotes it. But I remember even having to check myself, though, too, this week, because once again, in regards to finding myself getting kind of upset and angry, I got in the car. My wife told me I had to tone it down a little bit because I was kind of running my mouth about the things that were going on. I wasn't that nice. We struggle, <laughs> we struggle as a church. You guys, once again, can say amen or ouch to this. That's the point of me saying that, Tammy. We get so worked up and angry at the world simply doing what the world is supposed to do. Do we not? The world's just being the, wor the world. Once again, I, I given, I've given the analogy. It, it would be like us watching people walk in here completely blindfolded and getting angry at them for bumping into the pews. We would just, it, it would be ridiculous. If someone starts, if a group of people walk in and Joey and, and Chris and Brenda are looking like, man, it is so obnoxious of them to keep running into these pews. Why are they running into the pews? They're blind. We as a church get so worked up with this. And we find ourselves becoming inundated with the ways of the world where we convince ourselves that if we educate ourselves on the ways of the world, that we're doing something that is that of the Christian. And I'm, I'm not to say that we're not called to be educated. But I said to my wife, and I think I said it to you as you were walking away, so you might not have heard me, but I did say it. I said, as Christians, something that you have to ask yourselves is, are you educating yourself in the ways of the world to better evangelize the world? Or are you educating yourself in the ways of the world to evade the world? And what are you called to do as a Christian? You're called to go out, make disciples. You're called to work the harvest field, right? The, the, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are what? They're few. You're called to go out. You're called to be, as we spoke about weeks ago, the salt and the light. And salt and light only have value when they're what? Applied to something that is antagonistic to salt and light. So you will find yourselves in situations and places that contradict what it is that you believe in, who it is that you believe in, and what it is that you're called to do. If Brandon and Todd and I go out into the jungle and we're walking, it would be absurd for us to get angry at the animals that are out there trying to kill us. Like it, it would just be completely obnoxious. But would we be called, in a sense, to try to educate ourselves on what's going on and what we should look at in the jungle? My wife and I, we've joked. We've watched the show Naked and Afraid before. I always sit there and think to myself, it blows my mind the, the knowledge that some of these people have on what berries that they're supposed to eat. I would be dead or have horrible diarrhea in like a day. I watch this and it just blows my mind. But they're still in the jungle. They're in the wilderness. But they educated themselves, right? We as Christians are called to do the same thing, but our focus and our hope is supposed to rely on Christ. Our, our discernment and our understanding comes from the Word. Know God, 
to know yourself, to better know what it is you're called to do. And this is how we kind of ground and station ourselves. So I want to ask you guys, when I read passages like this out of Romans 3, 9 through 20, I'm going to read it to you guys here. Romans 3, 9 through 20. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. and the ways of peace, they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through this, the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law was simply made and put in front of us to remind us of God's holiness and our sinful nature. Period. The law was not created to save anybody. And I love what Paul is sitting here saying that by the standards of the law, every mouth will be silenced. Every mouth will be closed. Because we could all walk around and talk about how good it is we are or how good of the things it is that we do and all those things and we wrestle with that. But when we look at the law and the Ten Commandments and what they say, we all can sit there and say, yes, I've fallen short of God's glory. I didn't hit it on the mark the way that I should have. But when we look at the world here, this is the stuff that I want you guys, though, to, to, to wrestle with and something that I want you guys to put yourself into. This is the emphasis of what we talked about last week with the pride of life. You guys remember 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We all in here struggle and wrestle with pride. Do we not? The world, though, is blind to the fact that pride actually isn't the greatest of things. We see pride everything. Pride's everywhere. Pride is something that is promoted in our culture that we're called to have. Right? You guys, I'm sure, have seen your share of it. But if the world thinks nothing is wrong with them, do they need a savior? They don't. If the world is convinced that nothing is wrong with them, if the world is convinced that inherently I'm, I'm a good person, I can do good things, I have this light inside of me, and it's everyone else around me, I got to take time for myself, I got to take a break, that's pride, right? I, I told my wife, she said this wasn't a good analogy, but I'm still going to do it. The other thing that I was thinking about too when I was listening to these people talk this last week is we do so good in our culture and in the world with trying to teach people how to do things to avoid the garbage that's there. And if I took this water, and I've given this analogy before, so if you've heard it before, keep quiet for the folks that don't. If I took this water, which just has water in it, or this cup with water, and I dumped it on the floor, and I was to ask you guys, why is the floor wet? The majority of you would say, well, you dumped the cup right? 
the world would say, well, Don, you dump the cup. So what the world does is the world tries to teach us so many different ways to stop dumping the cup because we want to stop the floor from getting wet. You know what Christianity does? Christianity tells you the reason the floor is wet is because there's water in the cup. We've got to work on getting the water out of the cup instead of changing the ways in which we're dumping the water on the floor. See, it hits to the root of the issue, the root of the problem, and that's sin. And as long as we don't talk about sin, even in the church, we avoid the issue. As long as we don't talk about sin, even in the church, guess what? You're truly not going to know who God is the way that you're called to know who God is. If you don't know God the way that you're called to know God, guess what? You're not going to live for God the way that you're called to live for God. Amen or ouch, right? So this is why it's important for your pastor to come up here and to talk to you about your sin. Because you know, as the song says, that it's actually our sin that acts as kind of a bridge to God's grace and his mercy. The more that I'm aware of the sin in my life, the more that I know that I need a Savior, the more that I know that I need Jesus Christ every day. We talked about it last week, being filled with the Spirit, not grieving the Spirit. When you're living in the ways of the flesh and your mind is focused on the things of the flesh, you cannot live and operate in the Spirit. You can't. What do you do? You're grieving the Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit. Amen. Jelaine's read an amazing book that's brought her to a place of, like, conviction. Conviction's great. And I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. I've, I've, I've had buddies of mine go to another church. They reached out to me a while ago and even had this dialogue with a pastor. Do you guys know in the Bible it never says anywhere in Scripture that the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin? Nowhere. You know what it does say the Holy Spirit convicts? says the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. So I remember I had a deacon friend of mine and a pastor reach out to me. Just some dialogue. There's a big uproar in the church because the pastor was speaking and saying things about the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin. It's John 16, 8, I believe it is. It goes on to say that the Holy Spirit, it's a threefold thing. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, but the Holy Spirit also reminds us the church, the Christian, of our righteousness in God. So I sat there and I really struggled because I'm thinking, man, you know, it, it's crazy that we wrestle with those sort of things because we say all the time, right, that the Holy Spirit's convicted us. But when you look at Scripture and you read what Scripture says, a person could easily sit there and look at it and go, wait a minute, it doesn't say that. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, so the world knows it's sin, so the world can then know God. And I say, amen, praise God for that. But when I'm also speaking about the Holy Spirit reminding me of my righteousness with Christ, I think a byproduct of that is what? The conviction that I have of the sin in my life. It would be like me writing you guys a story saying that I jumped in the pool filled with water. Your assumption would be that I was wet. But then it would be like someone running up to you and getting mad at you saying, well, I never said you got wet. Well, wait a minute. I said that I jumped in the pool filled with water your mind's automatically going to go and assume that, what? I got wet. So when the Holy Spirit does this and he convicts us of our sin, this is something that we're called to bask in and, and feel good about. But in back to what I was saying to you guys, though, about the world, if it thinks that it's good and everything's great and perfect, I literally heard a woman in one of the breakout sessions I was in that said, you are perfect inside. 
You are perfect inside. You don't need to fix anything. And you see people just taking notes like, you know what, I am pretty cool, like this is good. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, there's trash and it's stinking and we're just literally just speaking around it. Or oh, look, another way that we can try to avoid turning and spilling the water on the floor, but guess what? Tomorrow, we're gonna be reminded real quick about how not perfect we are. But something that I don't think you guys probably think about or wrestle with, and it's something that I, I wanna be pretty bold in speaking to you guys is this, is, is that we live in a world that thinks it's perfect and good, that it's blind, no doesn't think, what was that? No accountability. no accountability. Doesn't think that it needs a savior. In just the generalist of terms, guys, what is the alternative for those who don't choose Christ? There's no way of cutting that. Like, I can sit here and promote Christ, promote Christ, evangelize, da-da-da, you know your sin, to know Him, all that, da-da-da. Part of the drive behind that is also the knowledge of what? That those who don't know Him are destined to go where? Hell. My wife's read an amazing book based on a, a former Muslim woman that had found Christ, and the name of the book was I Dare to Call Him Father, Right? And one of the things that I've spoken to this body in the past before when it comes to Muslims and their belief and their religion is, is they, they mostly said, and I've had discussions and conversations with a lot of Muslims regarding this topic, and they say, you know, one of the issues that I have with Christianity, it's not anything that's really doctrine-based. You know, they go back and forth about, does Jesus really say that he's God, and how can God really come to earth as a man, and that would defile God, all those the one thing that they say that they wrestle with is this, and I put this challenge on you guys, as I've had to put it on myself and I continue to do so. If Christians really believe what the Bible says, that if I don't know Christ, I'm going to go to hell, why do they do such a lousy job talking to me about it? How's that for a gut punch? Maybe we do a good job educating ourselves to evade the world, right? Any of you that have tried to get away from the police, you know what that term means. You're evading them, right? Brandon knows it, Todd knows. We do good at learning things to stay away. But guys, if you read your Bibles and you study the Word, the Word, if anything, wants us to educate ourselves to where we don't become deceived about what's going on within the church. We know what's going on in the jungle. We know what's going to happen when blind folks walk into the church. But the word calls for us to be knowledgeable and on guard for wolves in sheep's clothing. Where do those wolves come from? Outside the church or inside the church? They come from inside the church. False teachings, right? In the end of days, people will become lovers of self. Jelaine, are they speaking about the world or are they speaking about Christians? They're speaking about Christians. The world is always and has always been the world. But I, I put this burden on you guys, a, a holy burden, in regards to if you believe that if you don't know Christ, you're going to go to hell. You believe it because the Word says it. You believe the Word, why? Because you're a professed Christian. Muslims go around and they go, man, if they really believe that, why doesn't anyone ever talk to me about it? Because maybe we find ourselves being more angry about the fact that they're of the world and they don't know Christ. It makes us angry. There's maybe pride inside of us. They should know better. 
they're blindfolded. Or is there a want inside of us, a yearning, a desire, an angst, because we know the love of the Father through the completed works of Jesus Christ? And since we know that work, we know that love, we then are called to go out and do what? Love other people that way. Live it to show His glory. And we can struggle with this. We get so consumed with the things of the world that we lose that initial commandment that Christ Himself has given us. But when it comes to us as the church, so I'm going to kind of focus now a little bit more on us now as the church. So I talked about the world. I talked about how the world thinks pride of life of the world, right? The world's going to promote that, Jelaine, you're good. Mariah, you're good. Nothing's wrong with you. Even the word perfect's going to be thrown out there. You don't fix perfection, right? Wrong. You're not perfect. No one's perfect. No one's righteous. That is the most horrifying but also amazing news that we can hear as people. We're all linked through sin. We all fall short. Amen? Like That is, that is just the truth of it all. But when it comes to, to the, the church, the pride of life is definitely a little bit more interesting to recognize. I'm going to have you guys turn your Bibles now to the book of Mark. Now if you go to Mark chapter 9. Okay? And I'm going to put myself out there when I go through this part, because I can, I've, I've been guilty of this. Mark, what? Mark 9. Yep, Mark chapter 9. So we spoke about pride of the world. Now we're going to talk about pride that can infiltrate and wreck us here within the church as well. Okay? And I find out, and I'm going to try to word this the best way that I can, Pride tends to dress itself the best within the church with humility. Does that make sense? I've heard an old saying that says that I have to check my humility because it's great for my ego. I want you guys to think about that. Sometimes people can be humble in this false sense to really make them look good. Right? And I'm not saying that every time you do something good, that's what's going on. But we can be guilty of that. Jelaine and I talked about it a little bit last night. Like people can be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't need that. I'm fine. You know? Or, oh, you think I'm, pre- I'm really not that pretty. It's just, uh, and it's like, no, you know you're pretty. You love the attention. You're just trying to sound humble in that. And it's kind of good for your ego even. But we'll go into that a little bit. So Mark chapter 9, we're going to look here at verse, start off at 33. Now, This is Jesus just basically telling his disciples for the second time that he's going to die. Okay? Just letting him know that he's going to die in Jerusalem. It says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What are you arguing about on the road? He's speaking to his disciples. They kept quiet. Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Think about that. These individuals closest to Christ were actually having an argument about who is the greatest of the disciples. Mind you, signs and wonders are going on. All these things are happening. They're arguing with one another after their teacher just said, I'm going to die. They're actually having this argument. Now, here's the funny thing about pride. You and I can laugh about that as we read it, but it's even our pride that may prevent us from speaking out loud that we easily could do such a thing, right? That's how tricky pride is. So he goes on here to say, 
But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. Okay? So, remember, it's this upside-down kingdom that we live in. The world promotes pride. The world promotes first, first, first. Do, do, do. Show all this awesome stuff. you got to be on top. you got to be a winner. Jesus Christ is telling his own twelve, right? You want to be first in this kingdom, you got to be last. Like, this isn't about who's greatest. This is about who's the least. Sitting down, Jesus called and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, the servant of all. Verse 36 says, he took a child. You guys have heard this story before. He took a child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So, he's using the analogy once again. Childlike faith, right? Got to be humble as a child. It's faith where it's just this complete trust in what's going on. I'm not concerned or worried about the things going on. I'm concerned and worried about only serving Christ. Whatever that looks like, regardless of how it looks, that's what I'm all about. I don't care about being outwardly big or anything like that. I heard a pastor once say, how many of you guys have played musical chairs before? Right? And you see the situation where it's like the last two people that are left or whatever, and there's like one chair, and the music's going, and what happens when the music stops? They all wrestle to get to the chair. We can laugh at people when we watch them do that, but in actuality, we ourselves can have that same kind of pride inside of us. Like, this is how we can even be in the church. We want to be the ones in that chair for Christ. We want to be the ones that the world sees are doing the things for Christ. And this is what the 12 themselves were doing. So we have to remember and realize, too, if the 12 were doing it, we can't be immune or dumb to the fact that, guess what? We, too, could easily fall to that kind of pride. But it's amazing what Jesus goes on here to teach. He says, verse 38, John says, We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can be in the next moment and say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. So this is kind of a little play here about what we even spoke about last week, about you guys, there's only one way or the other way. There's no middle ground here. Either Jesus knows you or he doesn't know you. Either you're for him or you're against him. You can't serve two masters. Jesus goes on to say, Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose the reward. So think about that. These 12 are basing the drive and the display of their faithfulness based around miracles that's going on. And it's not to say that those things are bad. But there was something that caught up in them to where they were arguing about, based on what was going on, who was the greatest. They were getting lost in this translation of what was going on. They even developed this sense of enmity and jealousy based on this individual that was going around and casting out demons that wasn't even with them physically. But in whose name was he doing it in? The name of Jesus. Jesus said, don't stop them. Your guys' hearts are in completely the wrong place with all of this. 
He's doing something amazing in my name. But here, I'm going to up the ante a little bit more for you and check your pride at the door. He might be driving out demons in my name, but guess what? If someone even comes up to you and gives you a cup of water under the radar, no spectacle to it whatsoever. If they even do that, guess what? They're not even going to lose their reward. That for us is completely counteractive to the pride that we have in our hearts. We live in a culture today, even in the church, that says we have to be big for God. We have to be in the chair so people see and show the glory that we're giving to God. Center stage. But what the Word is saying here, what the Word is testing you and I in, is if we want to get to the root of the issue, the problem, the pride of life, this is where the enemy's slick, and where your flesh deceives you, in reality, who are you glorifying? God or yourself? You're glorifying yourself. You're putting yourself there. You're not thinking about, well, giving someone a cup of water, that, that's fine, I guess, it's great, but man, I want to do the big stuff. I want to do the things that people see and watch and they point at me and go, man, he must love God because look at what he's doing in the name of Jesus Christ. But in the meanwhile, there's faithful Christians walking around handing out cups of water to people all day that no one hears about, no one sees. But the one who matters to see it, guess what? Is watching. Is seeing. Truly, Lord, I ask you, how, how do we know that we're loving you? Truly, I tell you that if you love the least of these people, it would be like you're loving me. Be mindful because you could be in the company of angels. So easily we can detract ourselves from those moments and those things that maybe put us outside of not even just in the chair of musical chairs, but we're not even on stage anymore. We're in the background. We're outside the building. But we're still faithful to him. And we're checking our pride and going, this is just for him. I'm living for him. Galatians 5. I'm going to have you guys turn there. And I'm going to be wrapping up with this. And I love as a pastor to say that because I could go on another hour possibly, so I apologize. Yep. Galatians 5. After we get through this part, we will start communion. Galatians 5 is, once again, it is an amazing passage here, but I, I kind of want to go in reverse a little bit because this was something that I told my wife. I said, hopefully in speaking this to some people at church, there's some freedom that comes from it because we sometimes struggle with connecting these dots. So Galatians 5, as I told you guys, that you guys have a war inside of you waging, right? It's a war between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh is wanting you to do things that the spirit does not want you to do. So in Galatians 5, those starting off in 13, life by the Spirit, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. This is Galatians 5.13. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. 
I want you guys to wrap your brain around that because guess what? You are a part of the each other group. So if you're biting and devouring each other, guess what? Since you're a part of that group, you yourself will be bitten and devoured. But in verse 16, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Did you guys catch that? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we used 1 John 2.15 and we connected it to Genesis 3.6 where Eve ate the apple, when did Eve sin? Did Eve sin when she looked at the fruit and saw that it was pleasing to the eye, good for knowledge and understanding, or did she sin when she bit it? She sinned when she bit the apple. I was reading this to my wife and I said, you know, when you read this, we can easily mar- or look over this because he's telling us here, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There is desires that are even present in you as the Christian. Desires that you have to be conscious of. Remember what I just covered and talked about. That is our in as Christians. If you're not aware of the sin in your life or the desires that you have as a Christian, you so easily can succumb to those desires. Paul is wanting you and I to know that by us being in the Spirit, not quenching or grieving it, that even in the midst of having these desires and living and walking in the Spirit, we won't gratify them. We won't fall to them. And many of you, my wife even said it because I love her, she tests me all the time. She goes, I don't know if I believe that. And I go, ha ha, I'm going to continue on to read here. So Galatians 5, it continues, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I will go back to that. The acts of the flesh are obvious. These are things that I told my wife are the desires that go through humans, even Christians. You guys are going to get uncomfortable. I'm not saying all of you guys have these desires, but I guarantee one of these things that I read out of Galatians here, you will be saying, ouch in your brain, but maybe amen outwardly. Because guess what? Each and every one of you can still succumb to the desires of these things if you're not being led by the Spirit. Why? Because you still have flesh but you know the sin in your life. You know the desires. You know how the evil one works. Remember, hit the one in the middle. Rocky, three things you see. The acts of the flesh are obvious. These are the desires that come about being in this fallen world, living in a fallen body. Sexual immorality. Not saying you guys do this, but I want, you, I want to challenge you in, is there desires to do one of these things? Impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Pride's a beautiful thing because pride will blind you to thinking maybe you don't have idolatry. I guarantee you got something in your life maybe that is an idol that is preventing you from running with Christ. Witchcraft, hatred, discord. How's this one? Jealousy. Ooh, we all struggle with that, right? Fits of rage. Amen or ouch? Some of you are like, I don't struggle with the desires. I succumb to that. How about this? Selfish ambition. <coughs> Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And the like. 
He's wanting you guys to know, yes, you're a Christian. Yes, you love Christ. But one of the beautiful things about you being a Christian is by knowing God, you know your sin. By knowing sin, you know your desires. By knowing your desires, you can say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need to be filled by you because I have this desire and I don't want to gratify it. And when he says up here, when I, when I rewind it, I'm almost done, Jelaine, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is your pastor here connecting some passages here and some scripture to you. So you guys don't need to go back, but in Romans 3.20, what Paul is simply trying to sit here and say is, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. I go on here to Romans 7.9. I'll read this to you. It says... Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Do you remember on Easter? I gave you guys the analogy of the yard signs that sit there and say, don't step in the grass or the button analogy. Don't push this button. When you're given that command, what springs up inside of you? Man, I really want to push that button. That yard looks great to start walking in. When the law came about, guess what? Sin sprang to life in you. But since you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the yoke of the law. What does that mean? Your sin no longer has a control over you. Gone are the days where you said, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Your flesh sat there and gave you a desire. You weren't walking in the Spirit. And guess what? You gratified that desire. This is why we have to check our pride. Even as Christians, even as the elect, even as God's children, we have to check ourselves day in and day out. We need Jesus every day. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go into communion. You guys that have been here before, you know how we do this. Communion is a time where I want you guys to check your hearts. As we're going to go through, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 11. I may have my wife read the section that I want her to read. I want you guys to understand and know that there were people that were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were just taking communion because guess what? I'm hungry. They were drinking the wine because guess what? It made me feel good when I drank it. Oh, and the poor folks that are coming into the back, we're not going to share anything with them. We just want to get our fill. Our crock pots belong to these people and their stuff belong to them. We are a body of believers. Paul even makes reference and says that by you making a mockery of the body, by taking communion with a heart that isn't repenting, this is even a reason why some of you are still sick. This is even a reason why some of you are dead. It was a serious thing. Now, I'm not sitting here saying to you guys, if you're sitting in the pews right now, to not come up and take communion. What I'm saying is, is use this beautiful opportunity to pray to the Lord, Lord, show me the things that I need to know about my heart, or these are things I know that I have in my heart that I've been holding on to. I'm asking for your forgiveness because 1 John 1.9 says what? He is faithful and just in forgiving those who ask for forgiveness. You rely on his word, not your feelings and emotions. We live in a culture that operates as such today. Amen? So during this time, I'm going to have you guys come up when you feel ready to 
grab a cup and to grab some bread. And I'm going to read through 1 Corinthians 11. Actually, Jelaine, I'll have you read it if you don't mind. You got your heels off too already. And I will put on a song as well, and this will be time for you guys to pray. Nope, I'm going to have them wait. I want them to just spend some time with the Lord, and then when they feel ready to come up, I want them to come up. So, hold on, buddy. First Corinthians 11. Jolene, you can stand up here and read it. First Corinthians 11, verse 17, and I'm going to have you go all the way down through verse 34. So go ahead and read it. 